0: This is Hard Rock Save the Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast focused on Asian cinema from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We cover the gamut of the science fiction genres, and um, in particular, we have been focusing on cyberpunk, Japanese cyberpunk, to be, to be more precise. I'm Rose Dave, and I'm joined today by a re- returning guest, our first returning guest, Nick. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well Dave. Thank you for having me back on. Uh it's refreshing to take a break from our real world dystopia to talk about a couple of fictional ones today.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about these. They're um one of them rather would be a film that I'd I'd seen maybe it's getting it's getting dangerously close to twenty years ago. Um to to to, to be truthful um so my memory of it had been a little shaky uh just in the the vein of like I, it had been interesting and it was specifically related to what we covered uh your last visit on the show the same director it's another film by shojin uh, fukui this is rubber's lover from 1996 that makes it sound like it's a song i'm going to play but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that will be first on the docket, and then we will be taking a look, um, or tangentially maybe maybe throughout um, our discussion of Rubber's Lover at the film Death Powder uh, from 1986. This was directed by Izuma, um, Izumiya Shigeru, uh, so it, it ostensibly is the progenitor of cyberpunk or splatterpunk films in Japan, uh, and we'll sort of see where its influences are reflected, I think, in Rupper's Lover, because there there's a few direct ones. So last time you were on, we took a look at uh Shojin Fukui's his one of his first like feature linked films. Uh of the two, uh, that was Pinocchio, uh, Pinocchio, Pinocchio, um, not was it nine six seven. I don't even know. I can't think of the name of the nine six four. Nine six four. Yeah. There was not as not nine as six four many... Pinocchio. Yeah, it was a couple Pinocchios after. You know, 964. <laughs> and You're way
1: overestimated the number. I of did. There. I
0: I thought there was a couple extra. They 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 improved upon his design. He was far more powerful in the later versions. Um. <laughs> thematically they they have to do with technology and um it's sort of uh role in in kind of uncovering or releasing psychic power within people it's like using that as a means to uh, advance the, the human race in a in a specific direction um they they didn't um That was an unintended consequence, I believe, in Pinocchio, um, considering he was basically a sex robot. So that, uh, it's a theme, and they carry that forward with the greatest of tenacity in Rubber's Lover. They're they're just going to go wholesale on it. Um, But between the two, uh, how did you feel watching Rubber's Lover, as opposed to when you watched Pinocchio?
1: Um, Well, I think 964 Pinocchio is definitely... uh, It's the rougher film. It's definitely the more over-the-top film, I would say. It has more of a... uh, I would say of a sick sense of humor to it. And I think Rubber's Lover is a little bit more it's a little bit more atmospheric i would say i think that probably has somewhat to do with the choice to set it in black and white and to not always have this like really aggressive handheld aesthetic like there are some like static shots as well um i would say rubber's lover overall is uh it's definitely recognizably the work of the same artist but it's it's slightly more refined, and I would say that uh these themes that both of these films share, particularly you know this dehumanization at the hands of corporate interest and the lack of agency and bodily autonomy, I think that in my opinion, I think that those themes are uh, expressed a little bit more fully and coherently in rubber's lover
0: yeah i i would agree and i think that the film itself um it benefits more from a, just a little, the, the plot's a little bit more streamlined and it's more tight in its locations uh where we're not running around the city um this time uh it doesn't feel like a uh, like bits of gonzo filmmaking um and that's to the 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 benefit of the aesthetic that kind of rubber rubber is bringing to the table uh the the black and white is a it's a nice stylized choice and based on the interviews that are on the the d v d with the director uh it actually was something um that they they chose uh in sort of in post or at least as they were filming due to the coloration on the 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 titular rubber suit. Um. just he said it didn't look good in color uh, mm-hmm. and so they tried it in black and white and just because of that they they went with that so it's it's almost a practical yeah yeah i could step. see that so...
1: yeah so did you want to um talk a little bit about the plot specifics here there really isn't that much to go over it's not well you know much like Nineties for Pinocchio. The plot is sort of beside the the point here, but we should probably just uh, get it out there exactly what the film is about.
0: Yeah. So this in this particular film, um, it's centered on three scientists, Motomiya, Shimika, and Hitotsubashi. They are being paid by a a corporation to develop uh, psychic powers um, in in test subjects, so that that can be used for some nefarious purpose we are assuming um however their 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 efforts so far are coming up kind of bunk uh, it's just it's not working out they're arguing over the exact methodology to induce the um the powers from a human mind uh and the the corporation's just kind of done funding it they're they're they want results they aren't getting any so they're sending in um a representative to basically shut shut this um this sort of illicit underground experiments down um, before it causes them any any more trouble other than a loss of money and that's that's the kind of the plot in a nutshell
1: yes, and um yeah we should know that uh the people who are brought in to become the experiments to uh, bring out these psychic powers are unwilling subjects.
0: Um, yeah, they're they're generally they are derelicts pigs, they're, yes, they're, they're derelicts from the city. So they're people that wouldn't be missed um by the, the society at large um and mm-hmm. they're being being used as throwaway experiments because they generally don't survive the um yeah. the process at this point. Yeah,
1: they're really they're they're being tortured. Yes. And that's that's the torture aspect of it is actually a key component of the research being done here. In fact, there's a line where one of the researchers says something in the effect of like torture influences the results or torture sways the results or something like that. So it's like, and it doesn't even, it really like the fact that these experiments could possibly die or at the very least just experience like a, like a complete dissociation is, is not really, it's not a part of the, equation here like the fact that the corporation wants to such wants to shut the research down is purely a result of the fact that these experiments have been ineffective in producing the kind of psychic powers that they are looking for you know loss of life is completely within the realm of acceptability so long as the desired results are achieved we can surmise and uh we we even see like one such subject like, essentially exploding uh due to the 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 psychic torture that is being inflicted upon them and um after the project is shut down one of the researchers is uh unwillingly um captured and forced into becoming the next guinea pig. And that sort of sets up everything that happens in the back half of the film, which is that this particular researcher, whose name is Shimika, essentially exacts his revenge upon the other researchers who have uh, done these horrible experiments on him. And that, that's, really, that's really the gist of Rubber's, Rubber's Lover from a plot perspective
0: yeah it's it's fairly straightforward there's nothing really convoluted about it um aside from the methodology of uh enacting these experiments um there is a um the the three researchers are are they're in agreement about what can um generate psych powers within a person and that is the extreme uh f- physical duress causes mental distress and then once your mental distress outweighs the amount of physical pain you're in then you should unlock psychic powers that's that's their hypothesis that they're trying so hard to set out to prove um now each of them has a a specific like so shimika i don't i don't think he particularly cares what order the things are in Motomiya is convinced that the ether um compound they're injecting people with is the key to it and hitotsubashi is uh he, he's he's spending his efforts into designing this specific sounds series of sounds to torture people with that um will kind of lock them into a, a, a catatonic state to be more receptive to all of the, the the torment they're being visited upon um and and that's all in combination with the Uh, digital direct drive it's a headset that they developed um, in tandem to isolate i think a person's eyes it's a little vague and the film itself has a a a preoccupation with eyes in general
1: yeah part of the and i guess this would be a a nice segue into one of my favorite aspects of rubber's lover which is the production design um this suit that you're talking about um it does have this headpiece attached which uh we understand is this device that is referred to as the DDD. and part of it like you said is focused on the eyes i think part of it is to make sure there's there's some implication that by focusing on the eyes they're able to track how well these like the sort of uh the the experiments are are working so to speak so on either side of this rubber suit that they're wearing it's like around the it's like the rib or the hip area there's like these two led screens that pop out that are just completely focused on the eyeballs and it's a really it's a really really creepy choice especially when you know they're in the midst of heavy torture and the eyes are just sort of like darting around crazed and terrified you know and then there's also the helmet if you will itself which has this hilarious like power drill attached to it uh which is i i really enjoy in this film uh the degree to which just like normal everyday objects are sort of repurposed uh into like the sort of techno uh nonsense that this movie is is peddling uh like there's also one of my favorites is the science board that i believe it's um hito subashi operates that is clearly just a table filled with guitar pedals yes (laughs) and a mixing board as well um and the levelers on the mixing board as he pushes them up, it's like increasing the, the psychic pain experienced by the, the subject. And it's, I, I just, the movie is full of all these little, uh, these little homemade repurposed props in, in ways that I thought were really clever and, and also just, just really effective. It's just, uh it's just quality, low budget DIY filmmaking.
0: Mm. and th- i think the same goes for a lot of the, the set design they're filming this in like an industrial park um for the most part it looks like and there's a uh, my favorite set piece i th- i believe if i'm looking at all everything all together it would be like the freight elevator that they they decided to put a bunch of halogen lights on it like randomly mm. yeah um that that Break. just it looks very good it looks ridiculous um, the same goes for the giant speakers that are just <laughs> their cones, um, big, big metal, uh, dishes attached to, I think like dryer tubing. For, yes. Like, mm-hmm. I so, exactly what it is. <laughs> so it looks, it's very evocative. Um, and because of everything being in black and white, the, the shadows do most of the work kind of filling in a lot of the details that they probably didn't actually need to add in, uh, so aesthetically it's just it's it's very um it's heavy on the industrial uh as would be films like tetsuo the other uh the other the other prop piece i think think that's very important is the the injector um that they use to administer the ether which which is um it's needlessly complex
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the um the effects of the the ether are not it's a little weird because the the scientist who eventually becomes a, suge- a subject himself shimika it's di- it's discussed the fact that he is actually he's actually been administering ether to himself and that he is addicted to it um so there's there's this whole subplot involving that where he has convulsions that require him to be injected with the ether and it's mentioned several times that uh injecting the ether rectally will produce the <laughs> the most effective results uh, it's 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 very it's very strange, but yeah, I do love that that prop that they use just like this giant injecting device filled with this mysterious liquid that we are told is the ether
0: yeah and and it's using um some sort of coolant because it needs to to spin at I don't know some sort of specific speed. It's it's a very like complicated thing to do. once some something very simple.
1: Yeah, it's all it's all it's mumbo jumbo. Uh, yeah, for, for, for it's sure. Fine.
0: And, I, and I think another um strange like tertiary plot point is that the ether itself um through use or overuse um, begins to degrade your your past your memory. And so something has happened with um, Shimika. He knows some sort of secret uh, about the company or some some dark thing that he's hence forgotten. Uh, uh, when I was listening to the dialogue, it sounds like they they were administering ether to him to make him forget, and then he just got addicted to it and didn't realize that's what happened.
1: So mm-hmm. I think that's like a, 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 yes. a small, I think-
0: weird side plot point that really doesn't have much to do with anything other than he was, uh, initially I don't think he was a willing um, person to be addicted to the ether when he was trying to use it for a specific purpose and not actually on himself.
1: Right, and that sort of leads into another aspect of the film, which is film itself. There's a really weird element and I wasn't sure I had a complete 100% grasp on what was happening here but there is a, a film a literal film like in a in a canister yeah with Shamika's name on it and supposedly the film contains some sort of secret that it is implied is supposed to I guess awaken him from his from his like psychic stupor or what have you, or sort of reveal something about his past. Um, and he he eventually a- acquires the film and he watches it in hilarious fashion by just like unspooling it very quickly and just like holding his face up to it and just <laughs> this is a very long sequence of him just like pulling the film continuously in front of his face uh, as his way of, of watching this film. Do you did you get any sense of what he sees on that film or how it ties into the other elements of the story?
0: No, not not really. Um I think it's meant to be more ambiguous just as that sort of deus ex machina thing that ignites his his um full weird psychic potential.
1: Mhm. Maybe that's
0: actually what
1: reveals to him the fact that this corporation was actually injecting him with ether and that that's why uh, this other woman who we should mention is sort of like a proxy of him that uh, it becomes a proxy of him at a certain point. Kiku. Yeah. That's why she goes and kills the the sort of corporate big wig at the end. Spoiler alert. We should probably like this, this is a film like I don't it's, it's, it's kind of impossible. Like it, spoilers should not be a concern here because the film, as we've stated repeatedly is is not about the plot really um you should still watch this film even knowing what happens in it because it is it's it's so much about the style you know and the visuals and the sound
0: yes so the uh, she's a secretary i believe for this company uh, for one of the one of the, the head guy that's yes. in there who is also her fiance i believe um she was sent on this one he he drives her to the thing and says hey go in there and just basically tell everyone that the experiments are shut down like you're our our hand in this um go get whatever information we need off their off their systems bring it back um and then just we'll we'll take care of the rest we'll be back to pick you up when you say you're ready um She's not even, like, that wasn't part of her job to be there. Um, She was supposed to go on her honeymoon or something. Uh, And I think that that's her fiancé who ultimately betrays her because he doesn't come to help her. Um, They only care about the results, again, not people. Uh, And so the the, the movie kind of ends Uh the way it does on on that note. But yeah, spoilers are, Mm -hmm. the movie's subjective, I think, um, on a certain level uh there there is a through line of the plot but again it, it it's just in service mm-hmm. of like the, the insane visuals going on yeah
1: a lot of what we're saying is up for interpretation people might have different ideas about what actually happens in rubber's lover for sure um but yeah i would say i think it's um i think it's helpful to compare this film with 964 Pinocchio which as you said was Shojin's previous film before this came out about well, like five years ago before this I think Pinocchio was like 1991 uh, yes um, yeah and I, I think um, I think that this movie really just consolidates all of the ideas that Shoujin was working on with 964. You know, this idea of like people becoming completely subservient to corporations and to capitalism, you know, to the extent that it's uh, it like the pursuit of capital necessitates just a complete eradication of the human soul. Essentially, like once people get caught up in this corporate malfeasance, they they cease to become human beings and they're sort of transhuman at that point. You know, it's like they have the physical form of a human, but they are no longer in control of who they are or or what they do
0: yeah and I think that the the results that they're trying to get or at least the methodology that they take to get to this thing where you're they they the company whatever it wants psychic powers for doesn't matter and for n or x reason uh and probably i mean i would imagine
1: probably for some sort of like warfare no, for, for sure <laughs> which which would which would sort of fall in line with this idea that like in cyberpunk the lines between like commerce and the police and the military are all like heavily blurred to the point of just being essentially indistinguishable. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, but so the, the, the method they've, they've chosen or that these scientists are doing to, to specifically to where your mental anguish, um, once that surpasses whatever physical pain you're in, um, a, puts you in a position to um be above society or above whatever's bothering you puts you in a position of power so if you take that and like spread it out to society and the the basically the very thing that these corporations are trying to create, the way that they're going about doing it, is only going to like backfire on them. In the film it, it's literal. Uh but if you look at that on a larger scale, um it would be the same thing. People's mental anguish hit a hit such a note, um, that it doesn't matter that they're being downtrodden, they're gonna do something about it. Mm-hmm. So it just is a I think as a larger yeah. theme within the setting that um Su Jin has decided to use. Uh now that's not his only thing. He's dealing with a lot of um psychosexual commentary. Um he he's specifically um in the interviews about where he came up with the idea for this is he did he was doing research he wanted to do another film on um uh, psychic powers so he was doing research and interviewing psychics um people that would bend spoons that that sort of thing uh and he also was getting into um the at the time the the fledgling um snm club scene um in in, in japan uh, and ended up kind of combining the two because there was people he interviewed in the the clubs he was going to um, were were saying that in the height of their passion, like something would happen in the room, some books or something would fall, um, and so that was like a a, a way to release psychic energy. What whether that's uh, that's. Related only in as far as, like, he took that as an idea seed, and that's kind of where the um, the isolation suit, the rubber suit, came into play. Or the oh. idea
1: of that, of, like... Yeah, the, uh... Sure, yeah. The the rubber suit itself is very sexual in nature. It, it It's very fetishistic. It's sort it, of, it specifically it like was that. a
0: suit. <laughs> it was...
1: Yeah, yeah yeah very 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 much so um, yeah that 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 information does not surprise me at all because the 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 psychosexual undertones are very... they're, very they're not there. even undertones <laughs> well, perhaps even more so. And, uh, yeah i guess, <laughs> yeah they they are kind of overtones in in much the same way that nine six four pinocchio was because yeah in nine six four like the the titular Pinocchio was like explicitly a like a sex android,
0: you know. Yeah, that was his his purpose that he had been converted into because he was just a regular dude that mm-hmm. like was made into an android. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's, it's sort of that more same more idea yeah of control. Yeah, yeah. It's the like control, you control and then...
1: somebody's sexuality. You you control like a. a like a deep, more like a base part Mm -hmm. of them. You know, it's, it's all about, again, this, this idea of like having agency over your own body, which uh, is a, is a part of this of explicitly when we talk about the character of uh, Monomiya, who is essentially the researcher who initiates the experiments that are done on Shamika, and there's a a long sequence where he strips down to his underwear and flexes his muscles, and he just names all of the muscles that he's flexing, you know? Like, he's like he's got his biceps and his abdominals, and it's like, from that point on in the movie, he's always seen, like, in his underwear, you know, in, in all his glory, and he's you know, celebrating. <laughs> he has, like, a clear
0: plastic laptop. His, his own... <laughs>
1: His own... <laughs> yeah, he's celebrating, you know, his own his own beauty uh, and his own body as he is completely, um, you know, in- enslaving somebody and, you know, removing them, their agency over their own body, which is which is notable. But it, it is just very funny. Also, the fact that um, there's just a character who is like in his black underwear throughout the majority of this
0: yeah and and i think that that's another key point of the film is that the the majority of the moving of the plot takes place in the first like 20 minutes and then after that it's it's just sort of an exercise in how long can we uh torture our viewers <laughs> with with this bizarre yeah, mm-hmm. imagery
1: yeah, there is a huge percentage of this movie that consists of people just, like, wailing and screaming at the top of their lungs and bleeding out of various orifices, orifices and and barfing. It's really... It is an incredibly... Like, the body horror element is very strong. You know, it's it really, really pushes the limits of how much you're able to withstand just nonstop pain <laughs> you know and this that was true of 964 as well where there are just long sequences of
0: people we we screaming. had the f- 5 that's, that's 5 minute very, vomit fest, fest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes mm-hmm. yeah and there's also the amazing s- scene in that film of him just running through the streets of tokyo uh, and I think he's like screaming that whole time as well. If I'm not mistaken, yeah.
0: And that definitely doesn't look uh, like it was a a, a loud um, filming zone. Oh no, definitely like, not. Someone has the camera. Run! Let's run, run, definitely. guys, real quick before they before someone shows up to stop yeah. us.
1: And I th- I think I think that yeah, and I think that this really confrontational style is where we can make a useful distinction between Japanese cyberpunk as a genre and what we would consider Western cyberpunk, you know, something like blade runner or new Rose hotel or something like that, where like Japanese cyberpunk is a lot more visceral. It's a lot more in your face. Whereas I think a lot of the Western cyberpunk is a bit more, it's more restrained. It takes a lot of the punk out of cyberpunk.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and and that's something I agree, that yeah. um the the in part of that interview the director is taking the time because he's of course asked um you know what do, what do you think um or it's like what is cyberpunk to you or or what do you think of people labeling your um works as cyberpunk and he he's very affronted um by that particular question. Uh he goes into at, at length explaining like the origin of cyberpunk. Um it's roots in novels uh and he doesn't understand specifically why or or agree with that being applied to film, um, particularly his films. Uh, if anything, he thinks that they are specifically like they're something they're personal, something within the realm of science fiction. Um, but to label them cyberpunk is like not his intention. Um, and uh, as, as, a result of that and um of the other particular films that are sort of in that adjacent genre if if they can be um categories that way, the the splatterpunk appellation because of the inherent, I think, violence um of a lot of these films, uh and their um anathema toward uh corporate structuring, um, kind of that backlash against society as it would have been in during the bubble economy. Um, in Japan, uh, are are pretty apt.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the punk part of it, you know, the punk part of the equation in cyberpunk literally traces back to the Japanese punk rock music scene as well. Like, wasn't he involved in some way in the punk scene? Like, he was either... A punk musician, or he was filming a punk rock band, or or something along those lines.
0: Yes, that, and that's what he was doing. Um, he he was a cinematographer for um a company um that like a production company for mu- musicians. And so he got a lot. Right. That's that's where his ideas from uh, or for for Pinocchio initially came into plays because he was um he was following along with a uh, band's lead guitarist um who who ultimately passed away but uh, was doing a documentary on that band and that kind of became a seed for um Pinocchio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And and it's the same with um uh Sogo Ishii and some of the, the Burst City and a few films from like 1981-83 to 83, um that are they are the punk the Japanese punk scene in cinema form like like in Brain particular. Mm. um and again those those yeah i I just
1: got my hands on uh burst
0: city actually i'm excited to watch that i I think you'll really enjoy that and that um it's it's more punk than anything else but i I still think that that um it fits into some of at least the stylings um of, of things we've covered on the podcast so that may be due for a future episode i i do have a copy of that as well there's another film, uh, Wild Zero, I believe. Uh, I think it's Wild Zero. Oh, I'll, I'll look it up later. But um, it's it's tangential to oh. that one. Anyway, uh, I think yeah. that that's that's kind of um, the the main points um, of Rubber's Lover. Uh, we have Death Powder. We'll, we'll take a, uh-huh. a small sidestep like, into before, that. Go ahead.
1: Before we do that, before we do that, can I just ask you, like, in your opinion, like, where does Where does Rubber's Lover sit for you in the pantheon of this particular subgenre of Japanese cyberpunk?
0: This one sits pretty high for me. Uh, I, I think I had more nostalgia for it than when I watched it again but um watching it this many years later i'm i feel a little bit more informed on on cinema in general and then kind of what's going on in this film to be more comfortable talking about it uh i i like it visually um however i will say that a few of the things did uh, the the themes and some of the longer scenes did surprise me only because i didn't remember them and then i wondered why would i have like Tuned to that particular part out when it's like integral to what the theme is of the film. Um, this, this does deal again, heavily in um, non-consensual situations, both um, ethically and, uh, and sexually as well. So th- those as content warnings um, in a sort of splatter film are, are par for the course. Um, it's a sign of its times, like something like this, I don't see being made, today as much
1: no absolutely not
0: (laughs) and 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 that's the same thing i think we talked a little bit about um in in pinocchio they are 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 specific to um the japan of then and and that's always a um i was reading another interview on i think something completely different but another um sign of the times when you're actually it may may have been um a Shojin interview but um it was in regards to when you're making something uh, set in the future, uh, that it needs to be nearer future rather than farther out, um, simply because uh, in the process of making a film, it takes longer, it can be a year or two um, of time between pre-production and post-production. Society, things change um, just in those small windows. And setting something too far out Um, runs the risk of it becoming like completely like irrelevant Uh, but keeping it a little Mm. closer to home but still yeah it's interesting
1: a lot of Mm. the yeah I was just I was just gonna make the point that a lot of the science fiction films that deal farther in the future often end up feeling more dated than the ones that deal with the, the near future and, yeah and, and for that for that, and reason, that's because yeah. you're
0: trying to you you run the risk of extrapolating current technologies and then what they may look like incarnations of that in the future, but stuff changes so quickly now that that's uh it's a, a, a very risky to do um whereas if you make things a little bit more anachronistic um it 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 lands a little better, it makes it a little bit more timeless and i think that that's part of why mm-hmm. this particular film um, and, and pinocchio and and these, this genre works so well uh because it's um it's sort of focusing on like failed industrial states uh, but that's kind of what what right. things turned into so this is a little bit more um aside from the uh androids and all the technological yeah. mess but those don't seem out of place like i think that this is uh, just as or more relevant than within probably when it came out
1: yeah mm mm-hmm. yeah it's taking current conditions and just uh furthering them just just like one or two steps ahead you know it's not it's not envisioning this world of like such technical technological advancement that it has no bearing on current society it's taking things that we already recognize and just sort of taking them to some sort of uh heightened state and i think that that's why these that films that follow this sort of philosophy end up feeling more relevant
0: yeah they they just they, they work a little bit more for me i mean, in, in particular um that's for sure so uh, yeah i would put this um
1: mm-hmm.
0: pretty high uh and i i had the the oh. fortune of picking up um shinya sukamoto's um aero video box set of of dvd releases it's a highlight a highlight reel of his major films uh again that's tetsuo tetsuo 2 um in, a, in a, s- several of the other ones, he has a very interesting um, meditation on violence in samurai cinema, um, but that as a whole, um, those aesthetics just like always land home um, really really well for me. Mm.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think um, out of the ones I've seen, I think Rubber's Lover is... Is at or near the top. It, in fact I might put this at the top, even above something like Tetsuo, the Iron Man, which I love. I, I just I to me rubber's lower like really falls in like the like the near masterpiece camp. Like I I just thought that like all the elements were so were just so masterfully dealt with here. Uh and I, I just really was pretty blown away by it so i just i just wanted to say that before we moved on to death powder and if you haven't seen it i watched rubber's lover on youtube uh and the subtitles there aren't perfect you know there's some some obvious mistakes but you'll definitely be able to get the gist of what's going on so highly highly recommend i believe it is on dvd uh if you want to get it that way unlike the next film we're going to talk about, but uh, you can just do like I did and, and watch Rubber's Lover on YouTube. As yeah,
0: well. they're, they're both available um, streaming on YouTube. Uh, again, quality may vary, um, particularly in the case of Death Powder. Uh, with Rubber's Lover, I have mm-hmm. the Unearthed Films um, DVDs, twin pack release between this and Pinocchio uh, that, as far as I'm aware, is out of print, but can be found um on ebay or even amazon um occasionally like hits a backstock or something of it um and it, it was not prohibitively expensive um when i picked it up but that that changes from like day to day um particularly these days so um mm-hmm. yes uh, online is probably the way to to get a hold of these uh and in the case of death powder mileage may vary and your understanding of the japanese language may or may not hinder your enjoyment of this film <laughs> um it it has um it's been it's not dialogue heavy it's about a little over an hour long uh there are hard subs in both japanese and in english uh Granted, again, it's it, there's not a lot of dialogue to be had, but the subtitles for um, in English of the Japanese speech is um, inventive, to say the least. It, it's not following along at all with what the plot is. However, I think viewing the film with that and then not... Um, worrying about it is its own enjoyment because the added dialogue is probably some of the best if you just made up a story uh works really really well (laughs) with the visuals going on i don't think i don't think you would be remiss in thinking uh with that in mind that that's a a, a valid way to watch the movie even if it's fake subtitles Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I like the fact that you describe the English translation as inventive uh because it is quite literally invented. The words that are on the screen are are not at all what's being said, which was a, a very funny piece of information that you relayed to me after I had already watched the film and uh which obviously presents a problem for those of us who do not speak Japanese uh because this is apparently the only uh English translation that exists like there's only one it's in very low quality i watched like a 480p vhs rip of it on youtube and the the visuals are so muddy at times that i could barely even make out what was going on and on top of that the english translation has very little to do with what is actually happening but And it's important, like you said, this film is not at all about dialogue, it is even less about plot than Rubber's Lover is, and it is even more experimental, even more hallucinatory, Uh, and it is widely thought to be the very first entry into what we would consider Japanese cyberpunk.
0: Yes, and it's um aside from its uh, scarcity of other copies or a legitimate um DVD translation or VHS or anything any any filmic like translation reviews or resources or anything on this film it's very scant. Um I turned up very very few uh-huh. and they are contradictory. Um they they're they're primarily playing off of the English translations um or the subtitles within the film so the notions of what the story is doing are um just that much more removed because they're they're making an interpretation of the film based on those and that that um i think is like as i said it's not like any less valid aside from that them, 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 yes they are made up but uh It's a, the dialogue itself reads into the film um, very specifically just based, I think, on the imagery. It's like, what? Is that what's happening there? I feel that that's what's happening is someone didn't quite understand when they were making the translations and decided that this is probably what the characters are saying. Because it fits all, all the dialogue fits the imagery. You, 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 reading that you wouldn't hmm. go oh that doesn't that doesn't sound right like it looks like that's what's going on to me wow that is pretty bold of somebody to
1: do i must say to just watch the movie and not speak japanese and just be like ah, uh, it looks like this is what's happening so i'm just we're just gonna pretend that that's what's happening
0: yeah, and of this underground film that no one will bother to correct and it's now been um, this was from 1986. Uh so yeah. many many years later, um n- no one's bothered to take a crack at that is
1: weird, mm-hmm. no DVD release like, to speak of. It's only available yeah. on VHS.
0: Yeah. Yeah but yes um for any listeners Shame. that are more fluent in japanese than i feel free to take a crack at it um mine's not the best i i spend a little bit of time looking through the so what the film does and we'll we'll circle back to what the film is in a second um is it uh the dialogue is minimal uh, and when several of the minor and few major characters are speaking, um, it's it's garbled. Like the audio is very hard to parse um in general. So it's hard subtitled in Japanese, like in actual Japanese on the screen when people are talking. As if it were like a, a foreign film. Um but right. the but the subtitles in Japanese are what they're it's a transliteration of what's the script or if the director put them in there. I mean that's what it looks like. Um, a directorial choice so those are what everyone's saying like that part is correct uh and that's where you have to kind of get some of the plot information because otherwise it's it's entirely visual and you're just going off of what characters are doing
1: yeah yeah some hero who uh speaks fluent japanese needs to get on this and piece together some sort of coherent
0: translation it will benefit everyone for the benefit of all. But uh yeah, we're we're yes. we're specifically partially, <laughs> Yes. We're partially here for that. So the movie itself, um since you watched this with the I tried really hard to ignore the subtitles. Um what do you think this what was your read on the plot of this? What's happened? So
1: my interpretation of it as I was watching it and subsequent research has conflicted somewhat with this. It's there are very few resources about this film and none of them can seem to really agree on exactly what's happening down to like the names of the characters and stuff. But in any case, what I got from it was there are these three people who are housing um, a replicant esque Android slash cyborg of some sort named Guernica who has a fixed death date Uh, we don't know exactly why they are housing her uh, but one of them uh, whose name is trying to see here uh, Hirama, who's actually played by the director of this film Shigeru Izumiya decides to hold up with guernica the android in question and attack anybody who comes near it uh including these other two people who are housing it Um, and elsewhere there is a group of i guess they're called scar people uh but to me they just look like mutants just like people with strange prosthetics all over their faces and they are also in pursuit of Guernica. and uh, there is a brief flashback that explains the origins of Guernica. It was she was created by a man named Dr. Lou. And what eventually happens is uh, Guernica dies question mark and uh, from her body comes this mysterious substance that we can assume is the titular death powder and this powder causes all manner of insane mutation and hallucinations and the film at this point becomes very hallucinatory and impressionistic it's the point at which pretty much all semblance of plot goes out the window and the, the film just becomes completely experimental it just becomes like a succession of bizarre images and instances of like monstrous body horror now that was my that was my understanding of the film as i was watching it i saw another source that told me that uh the man who is holding guernica the android is sort of like a, a lone figure and that he had no affiliation with the other two people who were coming for it and the other two people were working for these mutant scar people uh which is something that i did not pick up on but it was something that i read <laughs> um, so feel free to uh interject with anything i may have gotten wrong but that was my interpretation of the events of death
0: powder um yes so kiyoshi and norris um those are the two hunters the guy and the girl that are after guernica they are sent there or specifically kiyoshi is sent there um by the leader of the scar people and and they do call themselves that in their like introductory scene in the film um Kyoshi okay. is working directly under the boss of the scar people um it's it's a sort of like uh mr hacker a, yes it's sort of like a, a yakuza or a, a gang affiliate organization um he's referring um, kiyoshi is referring to the leader of the um scar people as as like older brother but in the sense of like the guy that you're following um, and that happens throughout the film um, in the very beginning when uh, Kyoshi and Norris are like just running through the city and they're being chased by a dude in a car. That, that's a messenger um, from the Scar people and he hands them uh, a map and a gun and the map is to, to where um, Harima is guarding Guernica. And the gun is what's okay. given to uh Norris. That looks like a hairdryer that she sticks her hand in.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. There's there's all sorts of hand related chicanes. She, she has in she film, has yeah, she
0: has a say. lot of lot of um accessories. Um Yes. So <laughs> they're sent to go pick up Grenica because um Harima was supposed to be guarding her. Um, but I th- as far as I could tell, he's become, like, attached to his his charge. Like, maybe he fell in love with her, oh. or he just went crazy. It doesn't it doesn't say. They just said that he stopped doing his guarding duty, as far as I could tell. Um, but he's alone there, and they're supposed to sneak in um, because Harima is not being cooperative, and then get back um, Guernica. And I think a disc, but... Um, that that obviously didn't get addressed um simply because the the attempt to rescue or or get back granica um uh, goes completely awry when she reaches her expiration date and expels the death powder um the that at that point it becomes like fully open to interpretation um because of what's going on hmm. uh, a lot of the times. So Kiyoshi is infected with the death powder. He inhales it. Um, the reading of a few interview or a few reviews, uh, stated that that was him inhaling the last bits of, um, Granica uh, is her like essence. Like it's able to replicate inside of him because the, the body that it was in is just falling apart. Uh, and that, that, right. Makes sense because then it it he starts getting flashbacks of Guernica's creation, so I think that that's I what's see. happening, and then his body yeah, his body just can't yeah. Doctor
1: Lou sequence.
0: Yes, yes. He he's getting her memories. Um, so in the English, when it's doing a lot of this parts, it's it it, it starts waxing like poetic about the nature of humanity and the universe and all kinds of crazy things and his mind is being expanded and it's just going on and on and in Japanese he's just screaming like help me like he's asked for Norris to come save him
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then a lot of the times he's flashing okay. back to conversations with um the leader of the Scar people and and potentially they're psychically linked I, I, that again I don't know because they're both talking to each other and it's there's There's no indication of any kind of, like, communication device. They're just replaying dialogue. I'm sorry. So the, Mm. the, 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 it wasn't a disc, it was a tape. And the tape, what the tape was is he was playing instructions from uh, the Scar people uh, on, on I think, a cassette tape in the car is what that was. Okay. Yeah. So um, Kyoshi was just listening to the. the this, tape. Is, this
1: is very educational, by the yeah. way.
0: Um,
1: I'm I'm glad you're here because I wouldn't have picked up on any of this.
0: Yeah, and then yeah, the re- the rest of it is the scar people not hearing back from Kyoshi, and he keeps just screaming like Kyoshi, like how come you're not responding, and how what's going on? And then of course at this time Kyoshi is like degenerating into slime or whatever's going on. Um. Uh, and he he specifically tells um the the masked scar boss um not not to come there it's like this is it's all gone wrong like don't come here and then that's when uh they, they and he ends up making his two flunkies take him uh to the to the warehouse and it just goes wrong mm. and and there you have it folks Kyoshi punches him in the head his head explodes there's a lot of exploding (laughs) going on um (laughs) and then a utility guy that works i think for the scar people i don't know he worked for somebody um is told to go um break the lock on that on that house and go steal the the stuff since no one's there anymore Uh, Or figure out what happened. And then when he opens the door, um, Uh everybody that was in there, uh, they became the thing. They just, like, body-horrored into one flesh cube inside the house.
1: Yeah, and I saw... According to one source, I found this big blob amalgamation of people is referred to as the Moo.
0: I don't know. Um, I... I could only read parts of the <laughs> subtitles. So if something else is in there, uh-huh. that, that may very well be the case um, again. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, 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 that's what I saw. The, the audio portion of all the, all the, the dialogue is like very distorted. So it's just mm-hmm. hard to like parse it. And then of course, yeah, this and is we a, say... the, it's a recording of a recording. That's what it feels like. So it's, the picture's hard yeah. to, to read as well.
1: Right, yeah. And we should say the move in question is like, it, it is an amalgamation of various people and it, it's just a giant amorphous blob and we get some really, really disgusting close-ups of like, its mouth flicking its tongue, its eyes darting around and it's just the big goop thing. And it's implied that it takes up like, the entirety of the building that they're yeah. in. There's a really funny shot of the door to the warehouse facility or apartment building or whatever the hell they are it opens and just all you see is just the blob filling the entirety of the doorway so it's like it's implied that these people mutated into one gigantic all-consuming blob yeah it's why or to what end <laughs> we don't know again that that is entirely up to you the viewer to decide
0: yeah it's worth it um for the imagery and the the subjective nature of this like you could watch this and you could just come away with something different than from Mm -hmm. whoever else watched it that's just the, the the nature of this sort of film yeah um the chase scenes the the aesthetic of it um all of these things start to become hallmarks um in other Japanese cinema of the same genre. And that's, that's the main reason to watch Mm -hmm. this. um, Because you'll, I think you start to see those tropes and recognize them um, for kind of what they are uh, in the other pieces of cinema. Like it just helps you and it gives you a vocabulary to kind of work with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The chase scene that you're describing happens right in the beginning of the movie. And it is, It's very much reminiscent of what we would see later in, again, 964 Pinocchio, where it's this really, like, hyper-fast sequence that just goes, that is just somebody running through the streets of Tokyo, and it's obviously filmed guerrilla style. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. And in fact, there's, like, a funny shot of, uh, like, a a bystander sort of turning back to look at the camera, and their face gets pixelated. (laughs) Presumably because they didn't want to have to pay this person. Uh, Yeah, that stuff's really good. And uh, also a part of this chase, we should mention, is the fact that there's a very conspicuous shot of uh, the woman, uh, whose name I forgot and did not write down. Uh, It's actually quite a beautiful shot of her running in front of these enormous corporate billboards. Like, she's running in front of, like, this massive neon billboard for, like, Coca-Cola and Polaroid, which is... Uh, it's just like again. It just implies just like this, uh, just like the corporate overtaking of the city, which is obviously a big theme in Cyberpunk, and is uh, it, that's like a Blade Runner thing too, it, if I'm not mistaken. It, it, it's yeah, like these gigantic corporate advertisements everywhere. It is,
0: and that and that particular scene is um, it's not shot for shot, but it's about as close as you're gonna get in um in the film Evil Dead Trap Two. Uh but that involves like okay. someone being chased and then the killer catching them, but it's in front of the billboards, like they're backlit by them, and it's it's a, a fantastic scene, and I really enjoyed it in that movie. And then watching this going, oh, we probably cribbed it from here because it works really well.
1: Yeah, and you know, I gotta say, I don't think Coca Cola uh let them the license to uh feature their their uh their logo in this film. But that's, that's just a guess on my part. I don't think yeah
0: Yeah, pro- probably not.
1: In that decision.
0: Probably why there's no official <laughs> worldwide release of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that could very
0: well be. Yeah, it could just be tied up in litigation or something. Well, it's available for everyone to yeah. watch on YouTube, um, according to your region, I'm imagining. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and um, like you said, I actually, despite the fact that I've made it very clear that I only vaguely understood what was happening here. I did actually enjoy watching this film. I think it is worth watching strictly for the visuals. There are some quite impressive prosthetics, I thought. Uh, yes. Like there's an effect where an actor's face is sort of undulating and in this really disgusting way that's pretty impressive. And the the moo conglomeration that we described is a very effectively disgusting piece of body horror as well. And it is it is very interesting. I mean it is it is certainly an experimental film. I would place it probably in the top like one or two percent as far as like the strangest stuff I've ever seen. Um, I mean there are stretches of this film that are it's just like panning over a seemingly unrelated still image with like smooth jazz music playing over it. I mean it's that it's that kind of thing, you know uh, but I would still like I said, it is on YouTube. I, w- I would still recommend checking it out just for the pure pure curiosity factor and for the fact that, like we've said, it did lay the groundwork for a lot of the Japanese cyberpunk to come after it.
0: Yeah, and, and I think of the nature of how this film is perceived and how it was actually put together um, is, is in due in part to um, the director. Uh, he's a uh, folk musician and politician or something Mm -hmm. Um, but this is his only film and it's apparently just like he
1: well he was he's an actor as well yeah Yeah, but i
0: think it's his only um, directorial piece Um, yes Mm -hmm. but he just put kind of whatever he wanted into this movie Is, Mm -hmm. is, is i think the consensus yeah
1: in fact the the backstory behind this movie as far as who's in it, who collaborated on it, is arguably as interesting as the film itself. Uh, for example, Dr. Liu, who was the creator of Guernica, um, and who has a, what I found to be a sort of like funny rock music video in the middle of this, uh, is played by Hiroshiro Imawano, who is the front man of the very popular Japanese band uh, RC Succession. Um, and who had a very close working relationship with uh, the director of this film. Um, In fact, the two of them, prior to the release of Death Powder, worked on an EP together that is called Scar People, which I found interesting. Um, There's also some other notable uh, people in this film. The woman who plays Guernica, her name is Mari Natsuki, She actually went on to become a somewhat successful voice actress. Um, She was in the Wes Anderson movie, Isle of Dogs, uh, voicing a dog in that. And she was also um, in Metal Gear Solid 4, uh, voicing the character of Eva. So uh, (laughs) there's some pretty notable guys in here. I mean, actually, maybe the most interesting one is uh, the guy who plays Mr. Hacker, uh, so the the wheelchair bound uh scar person it was played by a guy named Tamio kagayama who was a went on to be a fairly well known novelist um and who was a judge on iron Chef <laughs> so we've got a a pretty eclectic and interesting group of people in this film and i was just i enjoyed reading about the collect like just the assortment of people who are in this and how they all found this found their way to this project and everything like that so it's um death powder is uh is an interesting artifact in a lot of ways
0: yeah i i really enjoyed this one um it's slightly less accessible i think due to its length and then it's um experimental film nature this this takes more attention to watch this um than say rubber's lover um but I, I just think it's 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 a, a piece that stands in such an important in space particularly with like everything mm-hmm. it influences afterwards yeah I agree
1: definitely worth checking yeah. out
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think that that unless um Probably wraps us up for this episode unless you had anything specific um on Rubber's Lover that she wanted to, to talk about. I think we hit most of it.
1: Uh nope. Uh, yeah, I think we got it. Um like we said, both of these films are available to watch on YouTube. Um and I would recommend both of them, especially Rubber's Lover. Um to me that that is like one of the the ace entries into the Japanese cyberpunk genre. Um, So, yeah, check them out.
0: Uh, But, yes. (laughs) Thanks for having you uh, on the show again, Nick. Thanks for having me, Dave. Anytime. And I will catch you all next time. Have a good one. In the meanwhile, stay safe out there. Bye-bye, y'all.
1: Later.